We've known for a couple of decades now that between 50 and 60% of all executives fail within the first 18 months of their assignments. And as staggering as that statistic is, it's become our new normal. 61% of those leaders told us that they were not prepared for the jobs they took. And 76% of those leaders told us that their organizations didn't do enough or didn't do anything to prepare them for their jobs. Well, the great news is this. One of the surprising things the data revealed to us was what it was the other 50% of executives were doing to actually succeed. How were they arriving at senior level jobs and thriving once there? Well, the data revealed four consistently recurring patterns. The first pattern we saw we called breadth. Now these were the leaders who could take the widest possible view of the organization. They could see how all the pieces fit together. They didn't look at the organization as marketing or sales or logistics. They saw the organization now as product commercialization. They knew where competitive capability came together at the seams of the organization. They knew that it was the integration of those uh, functions that, that set the organization apart to compete. They couldn't bring their functional biases to the table anymore. So if they rose up through finance, they couldn't see the world through an economic lens. Or if they rose up through marketing, they couldn't see the world through a consumer or economic lens. They had to see the world through an integrated whole. They had to see the organization whose whole was greater than the sum of its parts. The second pattern we saw in the data we called context. Now these were the leaders um, who had deep, deep knowledge of how their industry and their business made money. They could spot the trends coming down the horizon to disrupt their, their organizations. They could see and anticipate their consumer and customer needs. They paid attention to what was happening outside the organization, but they also paid attention to the tea leaves and the culture. They could read the vibe. They understood what was happening. They never tried to impose their thinking uh, generically. They really um, read the environment well. Too many executives arrive at top levels of the organizations with an alarming lack of understanding of how their organization competes and wins. If you ask them to deconstruct their P&L, they don't know where the margins come from, and so they have to fake it. They hide behind strategic planning goals, they hide behind other metrics, and they don't really know where their organization fits into a larger story. And sometimes we set those leaders up to fail in the very processes we use to pick them. So in the interview process, we'll say things like, my gosh, Look at the supply chains you've turned around, that's what we need. Or, my gosh, look at these great brands you've built, that's what we need. Or, you've built all these sales capabilities all over the world, we need the same thing. We send a, a dangerous message to these leaders that we think they have a success formula that we want them to apply here. So we've seen the movie, right? They come in and they start slapping their recipe onto the organization and of course, the organization resists. And the harder they push, the more resistance they get. So we train them uh, by telling them they have a track record to ignore context instead of to read the context. The third pattern we saw we called choice. Now these were the leaders who had an amazing ability to integrate um, intuition, uh, data, and other voices to construct well-crafted decisions. And they weren't afraid to say no. These leaders knew that they needed to narrow the focus of the organization on a few choices to focus in order to succeed. Too many executives get to senior level spots and they're too afraid to disappoint people and they dole out way too many yeses to the organization. And in doing that, they dilute the resources, they dilute the focus of the organization, and they institutionalize mediocrity to the organization because everybody's working on way too many things, far more than the organization could ever absorb. Interestingly enough, one of the most surprising things we found in the data was when we isolated the issue of power. So we expected 
uh, to find the typical abuses of power, ethical and moral failures, and self-interest and self-indulgence. And we did find those. But surprisingly, those were not the greatest abuses of power we found. The greater abuse of power we found was the abandonment of it. Leaders uh, abdicating power in their roles because they were too afraid to exercise and use it. Uh, these leaders weren't afraid to disappoint people. They understood that for some great ideas to prevail, even other great ideas had to be forsaken. The last pattern we saw, we called connection. Now, these are the leaders, and we've all seen them, right? These are the people in organizations everybody wants to work for. They're kind, they're smart, they're compelling, they're credible, um, they have great ideas, um, and, and most importantly, you know you're gonna learn from them. These are the leaders um, who solicit feedback from other people, and when they get it, they listen to it, and they act upon it. Um, they intentionally prioritize their stakeholder relationships. They know who in their organization they rely on for success, and they know who relies on them for success. And they invest intentionally in building those relationships. They work hard on a regular basis to ensure the level of trust they need is there for those, for those relationships. And most importantly, they make the success of those people their priority. They put others' agendas on their own agenda. Work on those things, invest in those relationships, and you can master connection too. You can't um, master context unless you have the relationships to do it with. You can't master choice unless you have the breadth of the organization to implement those decisions in. They work together in harmony.